those of you who came uh, really late can find one of the empty ones. There should be plenty. Sit next to somebody so they think you're friendly. In fact, we'll help each other up, help each other out, help each other uh, achieve an attitude of faith and a little energy this morning. Uh, why don't you uh, turn to those people that you're sitting next to, that you're pretending to like, and, and say, wow, it's you. Wow, it's you. And then say something impressive about them. Wow, it's you. And you're wearing that shirt. Wow, it's you, and you showered this week. That's amazing. Whatever, whatever it is. They came all this way to be with you. Yeah, it's amazing. That person got out of bed early this morning and dragged themselves to church just to be with you. That's incredible. It's like, it's like they're a celebrity, right? Who would, like, who would like to introduce to me the celebrity that you discovered next to you this morning? Who is it? Anyone? Woody. Wow, it, Woody came today? That's amazing. Way to go. I had, I had no idea uh, things would be this special today. Uh, we get a Woody here in, uh, in church. And who else? Yes. Robin came today. It, and, and I happen to know Robin's first time. First time here. First time at Blue Water. Uh, so that's amazing. She came uh, all the way from Minnesota just to be with us this morning. I might be lying a little bit. Yeah, uh, Jackie came today. That's amazing. And she, she came with Robin. That's like a twofer. That's incredible. That's incredible. Man, we are rocking the house this morning. Uh, way to go, uh, Blue Water. Let's ask uh, for our warm-up question. We're starting to get into it, obviously, have a little energy. Let's warm up our brains now, and I'll ask you a question that's related to the experience that we've just had, this discovery experience. Let me, let me ask you a direct question, and I want you to think about it. Maybe a good way to answer it. Who are you? Who are you? This is blue water, so you have to have an interesting response. Who are you? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it. A child of God. Somebody had to go there right away. That's good. Who said that? Who's a child of God? It's good? All right. So uh, who else was thinking that? All right, good. Good Christians here. Who else has a different answer? Who are you? What's the first thing that came into your head? John. You're a warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Yamamoto does not mess around. He comes to church and he's ready to throw down. That's what we love about John. What else? What else came into your head? Not everybody's going to get that, but I do. Yeah. Uh, who are you? He's a fan of the band The Who. Who had an anthem? Who are you? 
who, who are you? <laughs> you guys don't listen to good music today. You don't listen to the good music. All right, one more. Who, who had a great, a great answer? What popped into your head? We have uh, the recovering heroin addicts. Yeah. I know a little bit about this story, right? So, um, uh, and, and that might be a great way to conceive of that. Who are you? And you tell me your story, right? Uh, a big part of your story, which is a great way to answer that question. And uh, I know a fair bit about these stories over here, and that's a productive and wonderful story. Um, is that an important question? Who are you? Is that an important question in the world, in life? Yes? No. Um, it, is, it is often said that in all of literature and philosophy, there is only truly one question, and that question is, who am I? And all of our literature, all of our uh, iconic storytelling, all of our philosophy in some way, shape, or form is meant to answer that question, right? We have all these iconic stories about the discovery of who we are, who am I? One that you might have heard of uh, recently is the story of this uh, fictional uh, figure named, uh, what's his name, uh, Harry uh, Potter. Harry Potter, that's it, yes. He had some books written about him, evidently. But it's, it's, such, it's the iconic who am I story. Who are you? You are an unloved orphan who lives under a staircase, right? And it turns out that you are a great wizard from a great wizard. You're magical. And there's this whole magical world that you don't know about that's hidden, uh, uh, behind the veil, so to speak. You know, it has a very spiritual, religious quality to it, and then you end up fighting against uh, a great evil, a force who wants to destroy the world, basically. I mean, it's kind of a Jesus story. It's kind of a Christian story in a way, just covered over with different tropes and different styles. Who am I? Huge, important question. Some say the only fundamental question of the human experience. I think it's an important question in spiritual life, right? Who am I? Well, I'm a child of God. Right? You, you, you uh, answer that question with respect to faith, which with respect to your spirituality, if you are a, a spiritual person. So it's an important question in the spiritual realm, for sure. But I think it's also a trick question. Because if you try to answer the question directly and intensely, you will always get into trouble. Always. There's a trick in it. And that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. We are in this sermon series called How to Help the Devil. Because I preach a lot of sermons and, and I just finally wanted to do a topic that I felt like I understood. And uh, I feel like I'd be a great devil. Um, as I say, I'm a so-so Christian, but I would be a great uh, devil. My Ohana group, as I've said, call me the sociopastor uh, because I have some strong, you know, antisocial, devilish qualities. I try to use my powers for good, um, but uh, just a little slide in my discipline, I think I'd be great at using them for evil. And so I want to give you the benefit of my talents. Uh, so we're, we're talking about um, how Satan accomplishes his trickery in the world, the idea being that if we understand how Satan goes about tricking us, then we'll be wise to his ways and better able to resist the traps uh, that he lays uh, for us. Um, Satan's number one trick, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, 
is to get you to do dumb and destructive things that you think are virtuous. Uh, Paul put it this way, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And what Satan wants you to do is not to tempt you to do dark things, but to tempt you to do stupid things you think are wise things. Right? And then you become devilish yourself. Right? Because as you pursue this false virtue, or if you pursue virtue in a false way, you spread destruction in the world unwittingly. And that just really plays into his, uh, into his uh, plans. Um, and the way that Satan gets us to do this, uh, mostly, is he gets us to focus on one virtue in exclusion of others. He gets us to focus on one good thing in such a way that we end up letting slide lots of bad things. That's his typical MO, his typical method uh, for doing it. He, he gets you to pick your favorite virtue and to neglect all your others, which is like, you know, pursuing a balanced diet by eating only one food. Spinach is really, really healthy. But if all you ever ate in life was spinach, you'd be a very sick person. Actually, spinach is pretty, you could go a long way on spinach. Uh, but uh, but ultimately, ultimately, it would come back to bite you, right? If you're pursuing a fitness program and somebody says, well, an important element of fitness is to get enough sleep. And so all you did was sleep 18 hours a day, right? Pursue that one virtue in exclusion of all the others, you would end up being a very, very sick person. And you'd cause a lot of destruction around you, right? And the people that depended on you and looked to you. And the gospel that you preached, your gospel of sleep, would not be an effective gospel. It would be a destructive one. So you, you guys get the point? If so, give me one big demonic clap. I didn't know what you were going to do. That was just an experiment. But I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, the word we have for sort of doing all virtues together is the word integrity. Integrity comes from the word integrated, which literally means brought together, you know, connected. Uh, to be integrated is to be healthy. To be disintegrated, right, is to be unhealthy. And if you are a disintegrated person, you cause disintegration in the world around you. Uh, and that's kind of how this works. And Satan has been on this game a long time. Uh, so what we want to talk about this morning is this question, who are you or who am I, which is a question of identity. And that word identity is hugely popular these days, right? And it's being used in all sorts of, of different ways. So the question today is, uh, how does the devil use the idea of identity to ruin people? It's an important question. Who am I? What's my identity? Might be the important question of literature, philosophy, and life. So how does Satan take that good question and use it uh, against us? Now, the, the style of this sermon series is that um, I speak to you as a coach, a devilish coach. So I'm going to switch voices now, and I'm going to speak to you as if I were the devil. Uh, a true sociopastor, a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, as it were. And I'm going to coach you how to be a good devil so at the end of the day you understand better how to be a good Christian. This is a technique that was invented originally by uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. 
Um, so how might we devils, because I consider you my devilish protégés, my young uh, devilish disciples, how might we devils use identity against people? Everybody go, mwahaha. All right, you're getting better at that. You're kind of warming to the sermon series. How might we be destructive tricksters in the world, and how might we use the concept of identity to ruin well-meaning people? I love it. Let's be devious. Let's define what identity means. What, what do people mean when they say, what's your identity? How would, how would you define the thing about you that is a true identifier? in other words, and, and I think a, one down and dirty definition is that your identity is the stuff about you that you cannot change, right? Like your fingerprints, right? We use fingerprints as identity because you can't change your fingerprints. You know, there's things that you can do for a while, use acid to burn them off and stuff like that. Some criminals do it. But your, uh, your fingerprints are permanent and therefore they are useful as an identifier. That's the whole idea. Uh, you take a passport, you take a photo, right? Because, you know, you can't change your face too much. Uh, and they write down a little physical description because it's very hard to change your appearance in fundamental ways. And so that becomes an identity. Identity cards have photos and fingerprints, other things that they track, you know, your date of birth. You can't change the day you were born on. That's really hard to do. I mean, you can fake it, you can lie about it and stuff like that, but to the degree that we get that right, that becomes an identifier for you, so forth and so on. You know, sometimes we use uh, race as identifiers because it's part of our physical description. And so you see that on passports and hair color and stuff like that, although what hair color has to do with identity these days, I have no idea. Um, it's that which does not uh, change. Um, There are ways in which we can use uh, accomplishments, attainments in life as part of our identity as well. We often do that. Who am I? Well, I am a accomplished businessman or something like that. The idea being that once you accomplish something, it can never be taken away from you. I am a gold medalist. Nobody can change that about me, which is kind of true um, because you did it. And so occasionally we try to use accomplishments as identifiers for people as well, which causes people, of course, to chase after attainments that seem eternal. <laughs> uh, and we all know, because we've been hanging around church for a while, that that can go awry, and therefore we devils love it. We get people to chase after attainments that seem eternal, uh, but are, are not. Things which don't change. Things which don't change. And if you are identifying with something in your life. If I ask the question, who are you? You make a reply. The thing that you reply ostensibly is something about yourself that will not change if you've done that well. That's what came out of your mouth. Steve will always be a Who fan. Will never change. That's what, that's what he's saying when he says that. And why would you? Why would you change? Yeah. Um, so it's about, it's about unchangeability. The idea of identity and the human experience has always been a big deal, but recently it's a huger deal, particularly in this culture in which we are living. Um, uh, and there are whole new phrases uh, that describe how big a deal it has become. One that has a lot of currency is the phrase identity politics. 
right? You hear that a lot on the news and in discourse uh, these days. Identity politics means that there are different identity groups out there that are fighting political battles against one another these days. And the way that we identify ourselves, at least humans, not devils, but humans, identify themselves, have changed a lot over the past, even the last decade, right? We have uh, invented these whole new uh, identity groups, but some of them have been around a long time. Class is a big identifier throughout history. It was a huge identifier in the 19th and 20th centuries. It spawned whole political movements about class warfare and stuff like that. Every one of those movements was mass murdery. And so we devils love stuff like that. We devils love class identifiers. Um, Self-identity is very current these days in cultures. How do you identify yourself? And however you identify yourself, is unchanging and eternal. That's the idea. And we love that because it means uh, people are going to uh, fight against each other. Of course, there are, uh, are race identifiers and gender identifiers, um, and those are becoming a much bigger deal uh, in recent days than they were even 20 years ago. And then there's all the normal status stuff, how much money do you have, what kind of job do you do, how good looking are you, and stuff like that. But I think today in culture, what we are witnessing among the humans is a return to kind of tribalism, right? What we really care about is where we come from. Where we come from is defined in different ways. I come from a race, I come from a gender, I come from a certain ideology, I come from whatever. Um, I come from a certain intersectionality. If you don't know what that word means, it's become popular these days. If you're in college recently, you probably know what it means. If not, don't worry about it. Uh, it's complicated. I'm not sure anybody explains it well. Belonging is good and healthy for humans. Let's be clear about that, devils. Amen. Everybody needs a pack. Super helpful. Belonging is good and healthy for humans, but historically, identity politics, which is to say an emphasis on identity in, in, in the public sphere, leads to mass murder. Every time that people get obsessed with identity, society goes to mass murder. That's a bold historical statement. I'm not going to go through all of the history, but I'll lay it out there and dare someone to disprove me. Uh, every time we get into class warfare, race warfare, or uh, tribal warfare, like just it always goes to murder. Where people make a big deal about identity, uh, you know, violence happens. So we devils love that. Just on that basis alone, uh, we love it. There's uh, a lot of data that suggests that we devils can use identity for wicked purposes. You know, belonging great. But a total emphasis on identity, bad. This is sort of that virtue thing. If you emphasize one virtue in exclusion of all the others, if you make one virtue the end all and be all, destruction is going to happen. It works out wonderfully for us. So generally, young devils, we should be excited about the question, who am I? Or what's my identity? There's a lot of potential in it for us. There's a lot of potential for us to take something that in simple terms could be healthy and to turn it to something that is a super disintegrationist 
cause a lot of, of destruction. Um, there's a, a popular concept among those pesky Christians uh, that they find their identity in Christ, right? My identity is in Christ. How many times have you heard that, you young devilish protégés? Um, and that's... Uh, can be a helpful thing to hear Christians say if you're, if you're a devil. It can be. Uh, because there's a tension between finding your identity in something and being unchanging in it. Let, let me explain this a little bit, devils, to make sure that you understand. Can you be born a Christian? You guys have read the gospel like good devils. You've studied up. Uh, can you be born a Christian, right? Are your children Christians just because they were born to a Christian mother or father? Is that how it works in Christianity? Now, there are some other religions in which that's definitely how it works. Uh, but you can't be born a Christian. To become a Christian, you have to change, right? And then we know that that Jesus fellow right, preaches a gospel of transformation and repentance and growth. He preaches a gospel of perpetual changing. So there's a tension between that which is unchangeable and identifying for you and that which is changeable. I think there is a Christian identity, but it's sort of an anti-identity. The main premise of the Christian gospel is that your identity can change. That's the main premise of the Jesus gospel. Whoever you are, doesn't matter. God can change you into something tremendous. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you are. So it's like an anti-identity identity. And Christians these days fail to understand that. And so we devils can use it against them. We can lead them to embrace all sorts of false gospels by overemphasizing the idea of identity, that which does not change. Just think of all the places in those Christian scriptures where Jesus and the other Christian founders, the leaders of the movement, said things that were sort of anti-identity. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son, Paul says. And if a son, you're an heir to God. You become God's heir adopted into his household accessing all of his wealth just by becoming a Jesus follower. Your whole family history changes, in other words, when you become a Christian. That's a, that's a common trope, a common theme in the Christian scriptures. Um, uh, Paul described uh, race this way. If you're not Jewish, but you're becoming a Christian, you are grafted in to a tree that began with the Jews. You're grafted in. You know what happens when a branch is grafted onto a tree? It becomes one plant. So it, race doesn't matter, right? He would say famously uh, to the Galatians, this guy Paul, now there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no man, there's no woman. All the boundaries that we think are super important melt away once we become a Christian. That's what Paul said. All the identifiers that we make the most of go away 
when we become a Christian. They are less important than what's going on in the kingdom of God. That's just classic straight ahead gospel. Uh, in Acts chapter uh, what is it, 16, 17, we read that God is no respecter of persons, which is to say God doesn't respect how you identify yourself in any way. He just cares that you're coming to him. And that's when all the change uh, begins. In the gospel, and this really drives us devils nuts, you could be born blind and then be transformed in a moment to an entirely different experience. In fact, you could be dead, which is a strong identity, <laughs> and then made alive in the next moment. There is nothing about you that God cannot change, and that's actually the heart of the gospel. And so we devils want to fight that at all costs, right? To the degree that identity is about that which you cannot change, we want people to believe in identity beyond all things. It's so wonderfully satanic. Are you following me? More than that, these Christian scriptures say that people don't even know who they are and cannot know who they are. And that should bring people freedom. We want people to forget it and to grasp at identity as if that brings freedom to them. Uh, I will remind you, devils, of some scriptures. They begin way in the Old Testament in uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, uh, we read what would become a familiar trope in scripture about, about names from uh, Isaiah 62, too. I think it's up on the big board. Uh, <clears throat> here God is, is speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel, which is a nation that he's inventing. He's trying to make them into something that they've never been before. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. If you're in conversation with a human, you're passing on the street and you say, who are you? 99% of the time, they're gonna respond with their name. And a name back in these days meant even more than it does now because you couldn't change your name. And your family name, you know, was a big part of who you are. It identified everything about you that you thought anybody needed to know. And so what God is saying here to the people is like, yeah, well, I'm just going to give you a new name. Just like saying, I'm going to wipe out one identity and give you another. And it's not a name that you get to choose by going down to the office and writing something that you wished your parents could called you. It's a name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. God knows uh, what that name is. In Revelations, um, <clears throat> the prophet uh, picked up on this theme and extended it. Revelations chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Uh, this is uh, the Spirit of God prophesying to the end times churches. And he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, who stays faithful to the end, I will give some of the hidden manna, meaning hidden sustenance. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. 
So here's a picture of God giving you an identifier, a new name that only you and him will know. Only you and he uh, can know a secret name. Your identity is kept in the heart of God, is not even revealed to you until the end, and then you guys are going to keep it secret. It's not going to be something that identifies you among the people. It's only something that identifies you with God. Uh, that's what the Christian uh, scriptures say. We can go on. Other uh, um, scriptures that play with this theme in, in different ways. Almost all of the gospel writers uh, and the epistle writers pick it up. First Peter 2.10, Peter was the, uh, sort of the, the first, uh, head, first senior pastor of the, of the Christian church. He wrote a couple of epistles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He's talking to these young Christians, this young church, and he says, once you were not a people, in other words, you identified as something other than Christian. You didn't even know who you were. Once you were not a people, uh, but now you are the people of God. It wasn't until you plugged into God that you became anyone at all. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy happens to be the most transformative of experiences, the way that God explains it. And one of my favorites slash least favorites from 1 John 3, um, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been been made known. We don't know what we're going to be. But we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll get a revelation of him, and therefore, and thereby we will understand ourselves better. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you understand that you are becoming something that you haven't imagined yet, you will concentrate on purifying yourself, getting rid of that which you are not. And then gradually it will be revealed what you are, even though you don't know it yet. The point of all of these uh, Christian verses, young devils, is that we don't even know who we are because we can't imagine what we're becoming. And that's really what should be said to humans. You don't know who you are because you can't imagine who you're becoming. And the gospel says precisely that. Whoever you think you are, you sold yourself short. You have no idea. You don't even know what your own name is. What your own name is. Um. You have no idea. Uh, and so, uh, humans should think about identity very, very humbly. What we need to do is to make humans think about identity very intensely, very pridefully, if we can, to get them to really focus on it and insist upon it. And if we do that, then gradually we convince humans they cannot change that there are things about them that cannot change. Do you see how glorious it is? Do you see how wonderfully tricky and devilish identity can be? Right? It really works into our hands like almost nothing else. So the devilish deception, my young protégés, is to 
obsess about identity to convince humans of their unchangeability. This is who I am. It cannot change. It should not change. It must not change. And whenever we can get humans to that, ploy, that point, then we can pretty much manipulate them any way we want. Any way we want, because they're refusing to become who they should be uh, in Jesus. They've stunted themselves. They've pegged themselves. And the kingdom of God will just pass them right by. And they'll do it in the name of virtue, because belonging can be virtuous but they will neglect all of the other Christian virtues that go into it, like changefulness and growth and, and honor of God, your Father, and stuff like that. So it will be, it will be truly glorious. Um, we're not, we don't sell unchangeability to humans by talking about unchangeability, devils. That's not how we do it. That would be very bad bark marketing. What we do is we convince humans they cannot change, they should not change, by telling them how important it is that they be respected and accepted for who they are. I mean, that sounds really good, and that actually can be a good thing to say, but do you see how wonderfully devilish we can make it? How we can use it in a devilish way? So make sure you have this in your toolkit, young demons. Uh, make sure that you pepper your conversations uh, with it. Um, God might say, hey, you know, love who you belong with. You know, be proud of where you've come from. You know, be proud of your tribe. But it's passing away. Like everything else on earth. So be careful about using it as an excuse not to change. I think that's what God would say to people. So by all means, let's not go there. The phrase that we want to hear is this phrase. This is an iconic phrase. This is the phrase of phrases, young devils. I can't change who I am. Whenever we get people to say that, we win. Everybody, mwahaha. You really are getting good at that. I feel like our education is moving. Yeah, Joe, surprisingly creepy. That phrase, I can't change who I am, might be, might be the most satanic of all phrases. Because it is directly counter gospel. It is directly counter all of the promises uh, that Jesus gives us, that Jesus died for. Uh, that God has made plain from the Old Testament all the way to the very last book of the Bible. I can't change who I am, to which God would say, you don't even know who you are. <laughs> you can't even imagine what you're becoming. You're grasping at things to identify yourself as if unchangeability is your security. No, changeability is your security. Flexibility and growth is your security. Directly counter gospel. I can't change who I am. So let's all say it together just so that we can feel the power of it. Okay? One, two, three. I I don't feel like you say it with conviction. Say it like a devil for Pete's sake. One, two, three. I can't change who I am. 
oh, doesn't that feel powerful? Doesn't that feel definitive? Doesn't that feel righteously defiant? Right? Come on. Are there no lawyers in the crowd? <laughs> One more time, devils. Oh, that was good. It had some tearfulness in it. I love it. I can't change who I am. That's beautiful. You feel how powerful it is, how rich and wonderful it feels on the tongue. Such a beautiful phrase for our satanic purposes. I can't change who I am. Ah, it could be the anthem of the age. Could be the anthem of the age. There's so many ways to trick people into saying it. However, you work that into a conversation, devils. However you do it, it's a big win for us. It's a big win for us. And it gets us closer to our goal of disintegrating people. Just disintegrating their psyches. Disintegrating their societies. Disintegrating their moralities. A beautiful, beautiful thing. And thus closes the devilish lecture for today. You feel relieved? You need, need to go take a shower? Uh, so now I shift back into pastor mode. I'm not as good a pastor as I am a devil. I'm just warning you. Um, and here's, here's what the socio-pastor uh, would say to you in, in all honesty and my best righteousness. Y you don't have an identity. You have a story. To the degree that you have an identity at all, it's secret. It's God's secret. You don't have a clue. So to the degree that you talk about your identity, all you can really talk about is your story. And here's the thing about stories. They're all about change. A story in which nothing happens is not a story, right? There needs to be change, there needs to be growth, there needs to be conflict, there needs to be drama. You are a story. You're going somewhere, somewhere that you don't know. And that's what you need to understand about yourself. Who are you? Well, I. I can tell you a story about how I'm becoming something. That's Christian. More than that, it's power and freedom. You will feel the difference. You will feel the love and the humility and the grace in it if you learn to practice that sort of anti-identity identity. identity. Um, and Christians need to get uh, the hang of it. You are going to change as a child must. Here's the thing about a 10-year-old kid that's not their identity. Why? Because next year there'll be an 11-year-old kid, right? And pretty soon there'll be an adult. A kid is not an identity. A kid is a stage. And you are just kids. That's the gospel. You don't know. You don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. You don't know. That was part of the fun of being a kid. I'm 55 years old. I don't know what I'm going to be when I get old. See what I did there? I'm not old yet. <laughs> but you don't know, right? It, time goes in, in one direction, you know, for us, and, and we don't know uh, what's developing in it. Let's not pretend that we know what our eternal identities are. You are going to change, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not. You're going to become something different pretty soon. Right? Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. You can change toward God if you want. 
You're going to go one of two directions. You're going to change toward God or you're going to change toward death. Those are your two options in terms of ultimate destination because only God gives victory over death in the end. That too is part of the gospel. It's part of this identity thing, right? Your identity might be dead guy or your identity might be eternal creature of wonder and adventure. And, you know, you get to choose your story, just like those sophisticated video games. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. So you can change toward, toward God. Miraculously, what's it going to take? A willingness to change. Right? Don't insist on any identity other than changing toward God. You have to give identity up. You have to give identity up. The Christian word for that is repentance. You have to think differently about who you are, about life, about everything else. If you're willing to give your identity up today, you've, you've embraced change. And that's what we're trying to do. Because you need to change. You need to change. Whoever you are, you need to change. I mean, look at you people. Look at me. I just pretended well to be a devil for half an hour. I need to change. I need to clean up my act. All right, you get the idea. Are you willing to give up who you are to become something great that only God knows? Are you willing to be a Jesus follower? Because he's the guy that laid down that path. It might involve death to self which is another Christian phrase that just blasts identity right out, of the, right out of the frames. Die to yourself to have a better self. Be a Christian. That's what being a Christian means. I'm just going to give you 30 quiet seconds to metabolize uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, what you're willing to give up. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been holding on to in an identifying sort of way that you should just give up now. You should repent. That's what the word means. Let it go. Let it go. God has something better anyway. What is it? Well, I don't know. Probably pretty good though. A name for you that you can only guess at. We're going to share uh, the Lord's Supper together. It's first Sunday of the month. Uh, this is a ritual that Christ himself handed down to his followers 2,000 years ago. Come here, honey. It is a ritual of uh, communion, community, of belonging to Christ. Uh, finding your identity in him and following him going forward and remembering the story that he laid down for us to imitate. On the night before he died, Jesus took uh, the piece of uh, bread that he was sharing at dinner with his disciples. He broke it and he said, 
This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. In the same way he took the common cup of wine that they were sharing, he held it in front of them and he said, and this is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink. And as often as you do these things, Jesus said, remember me. Remember that I died to myself. (laughs) Remember that I poured out all that I had. Remember that. Think about it. And then belong to that community, a community of selflessness, a community beyond identity, a community of becoming, and a community of salvation, a community that moves away from death unto life and join it. And if you're willing to make that decision today or if you made that decision in the past to follow the path of Christ beyond self to God, then join us. Uh, come take these elements. As you walk up to the station, uh, you can help yourself to uh, a piece of bread, uh, dip it in the wine, and then take the elements at your leisure. If that seems a little too uh, COVID insensitive to you, uh, as well it might, then we have uh, single serving elements uh, in the back um, by Vern, and you can go back and get one when we dismiss. Please come on up the aisle and go back the sides.